Hey, Activate listeners, so excited you've decided to join us today. Today we have a guest I'm truly grateful to host, Nathan Whitaker. In each episode, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you reach your greatest goals. My name is Eric English. First off, I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. I met Nathan years ago during one of his book signings, and it's such a gift to have him on. Activate listeners, I know why you're listening to today's conversation. You may be working out or commuting, but there are some moments throughout the show that you'll want to pause, back up, and take some notes. This one is a game changer. Nathan Whitaker is a motivational speaker and the co-author of eight New York Times bestsellers. His most recent book, The Soul of a Team with Tony Dungy, was released in January of 2019. He has spoken to the Miami Dolphins at Duke Business School's Leadership Symposium and to corporations, sports teams, and trade associations across the country. And he has delivered numerous commencements addresses. A two-sport athlete in baseball and football at Duke University, he played for Steve Spurrier on Duke's most recent ACC championship football team and graduated cum laude with a degree in English and political science in 1991. A three-year book writing journey finally culminated with the July 2007 release of Quiet Strength, Tony Dungy's memoir. Since its release, it has become one of the best-selling hardcover sports autobiographies ever, is the longest-tenured sports-related book in the top 10 of the New York Times hardcover nonfiction list, and has sold over 2 million copies in print. He is the co-founder of a ministry, Impact for Living, that helps people live with God-given purpose, making use of their platform while following their passion and reaching their potential. In short using their platform to impact lives around them for good. Such an inspiration. And in our conversation, he has so much more to share. Today, I talk with Nathan about big turns in life and about legacy and impact. You're going to absolutely love this episode. Okay, let's get going. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for blocking out some time to spend with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is one I've been waiting to schedule. You and I have been communicating. Well, we've we've been in communication before in the past, but it's been a long time since we spoke to each other. And I know the listeners are in for a treat today. Before we get into the show, I want to mention that you and I both know the power of being in what I would call a state of gratitude. And just before we get started, would there be two to three people that would come to your mind immediately that you would want to say thank you for the success that you experienced today? Sure. So there are certainly my family, um, parents who believed in me and urged me to do as well as I could at every step of the way. And then a wife and children who supported me as I changed careers a number of times and, and easily could have pulled the plug on all that. Um, if they had said, you know, Hey, enough of this, you've got a law degree, go practice law like you're supposed to. Um, I certainly would have had a different path. And then, you know, one of the ones, and, and we may talk about this more further, but, um, I had this idea that I would write a book and, and here I was a lawyer. I'd never written anything. And Tony Dungy told, publishers 
that if there was going to be a book about him, that Nathan was going to write it. And he basically shoved me down their throats um, because he believed in me and believed in why I wanted to do it. And so, you know, it's, it's just a remarkable story, typical of Tony, though, to see kind of something different than the world sees. And, and so Tony would be another that right off the top of my head certainly would be uh, somebody who's certainly made a huge impact on my life. Mm, that's special. And what, so what can we learn? You mentioned changed careers a few times. So what can, what can the Activate listeners pull out of that? Uh, I know that, that change can be difficult at times. Change can be risky at times. So what can we learn from that, from those changes? You know, one of the things that uh, I think you're exactly right as far as it being um, stressful, it being concerning that I've, I've talked to um, a number of groups before about failure and that some of these changes come because you see something new or you want to follow a new path. But some of the changes come when things don't work out. Mm. And, and so you've got change in the middle of great stress. And change in and of itself can be stressful, but then you've got uh, haven't gone as you planned, and so that's really challenging. Um, and so I've I've told when I've spoken to kids and the like that, you know, we talk about the cliche of being darkest before the dawn, um, but a lot of times you you can't tell that the sun's coming up, and so it feels really dark, but there's no there's no uh, lunar table that shows you that, okay, here's sunrise today is coming in my life at this time and things will be better. So sometimes it just means white knuckling it and understanding that with our faith that, that we believe in, uh, you know, there being a greater outcome, uh, whether it's here on earth or otherwise, and that hopefully things will work for our best uh, in, a, in a tangible way here as well in the meantime. So that's one of the things that change can be hard on a number of fronts. Mm. Uh, and often though, some of the greatest opportunities and, and most exciting things come when, uh, when you change up things. Mm. Talk a little bit more about, and maybe even repeat it, because I think this is one to note, darkest before the dawn, the sunrise is coming. You know, these are things that, you know, maybe as uh, men of faith um, or, you know, spiritual beliefs, this is something you hear, but what should people note from that? That yes, you know, you have to white knuckle it, you have to endure the dark times, but what what's most significant about that uh, in your life? And maybe how long, how long did that for, did that take for you to learn that you have to go through that process? And then after that, there is something better. The, the sun does rise. Yeah. So I'd like to tell you that I've learned it and I've just mastered it and I don't run into those feelings anymore. But there is a bit of an ongoing process to that, uh, I think, with, with respect to me at least. And that is that, um, that there are times when, when, as I mentioned, things aren't going well that we believe in, at least I do as a person of faith, you know, Romans eight twenty eight that all things will work together for the good. But that doesn't always mean from a worldly sense that I'm going to have great financial success or that everybody's going to appreciate my efforts and the like. And, and so there's a couple aspects to it. I think one is um, in a bigger picture um, that, that we understand that as people of faith that there is something greater out there and that what the world sees as good maybe isn't what we see as good. And some of the mm -hmm. lessons in here may be hard. 
but there may be some other good to be gleaned from these things. I do think, however, though, that, that a lot of times when we're persistent, when we push forward, when we make use of the gifts we've been given, that a lot of times things will work out in, in a moral worldly sense as well. Maybe not in terms of, you know, we're not promised wealth or riches or other things, but I do think that things uh, work out for those who are persistent and keep pushing. Uh, maybe not as we always imagine. But I have had times where I've thought, you know, at one point I told my wife, uh, I was working on Tony's book for a couple of years. It was, it was not exactly, at first he didn't want there to be a book about him. So he said, I'll help you with a book if you want to do a book on leadership, but you don't need to write about me. I'm not sure anybody cares enough about my story to, to read a book about Tony Dungy. And so I was trying to work on this broader book and it wasn't going well. And and so I was, you know, I'd been fired by the books, but thought, hey, it's great. I'll use the time left on my contract to write a book. And, and the time ran out and here I was self-funding it and didn't have a job. And, and my wife kept telling people, oh, Nathan's writing a book. And, and finally I told her, you, you got to quit telling people that. This is embarrassing. This didn't work. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, and it wasn't maybe a month later after I told her, you got to quit telling people that, that all of a sudden everything fell into place and three years of banging my head against a wall finally paid off. And so people will say, man, that was your first book. That was amazing. And, and it, it hit number one on the New York times bestseller list and all that. And all that's totally true. Talk about things to be grateful for. Certainly an amazing run for me, but also there was three years of really some dark times and thinking mm. the total mistake to have, degrees from a couple of pretty solid schools and and yet be unemployed and not earning anything and think wow this was not the this was not the plan mm. so so i think there's kind of a lot there as far as at least for me as far as things i've learned and and yet still at times i'll find myself getting frustrated getting discouraged thinking why is this not easier now i've been doing this for mm. writing books speaking doing other stuff for 12 years why am i not able to x y and z and then I have to stop and think, wait a minute, you've been through this before. That's right. You know that you got to stay the course and, and maybe it's not the right course and maybe you have to adjust or maybe this is the right course and you just have to kind of white knuckle it and hang on a little longer. But things don't always come easily or immediately and, and yet I have to still remind myself of that. Mm, that's beautiful, Nathan. And Activate listeners, he mentioned, Nathan mentioned in Romans eight twenty eight all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And after you mentioned that there was, there were so many things that, you know, that were part of your story. And one that you mentioned in the very beginning, uh, you and Tony's connection and how that turned into one day writing a book for Tony and you mentioned, and I'd, I'd like for you to mention it again uh, before you talk a little bit about how you and Tony Dungy connected, but the degrees from the different schools. Mm -hmm. Did I hear you right that you said that, that you felt or you believe that some of that was a mistake or was that a, a learned failure? Or how did that lead to um, the three years of darkness? Was that just something you were unpacking or figuring out? Right. So, so I played, just to give a little bit of my background, I played football at Duke and, and baseball as well, and then went to Harvard Law School and then ended up practicing law for several years. 
and got a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I was doing salary cap work, contract negotiations with the Jaguars, spent three years there, and then went to Tampa with the Bucks. So Tony and I overlapped for a year, and then he was fired. I spent two years with John Gruden, won a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and then I was fired after two years. John changed up the structure and, and cleaned us out. So right. I came upon this idea of writing a book. And it was in that process of, of thinking, write a book, thinking that I could maybe help folks, impact folks with Tony's story. And then all of a sudden thinking, you know, when things weren't working out, thinking, wait a minute, I've got degrees from really schools that, that I'm not, I'm really not smart enough to have gotten into Duke and Harvard. Um, yet things fell into place and I've, I've got these degrees and yet here I am struggling to support my family. What am I doing wrong? And that's where the mistake part kind of thought, I thought, okay, I feel like I'm following the, following this call on my life, mm-hmm. but I must be listening wrong. I must be hearing the wrong mm-hmm. call because this is not working. And I don't think God's plan is that I would bang my head against the wall and, and not be able to support my family. And, and so that was part of where the challenge came in of, okay, am I doing the wrong thing with my life? And, and then feeling the pressure of, you know, it's certainly um, an amazing experience to go to those schools, but then they come with their own baggage of you get the alumni letters, you get the whatever, and everybody's a financial planner or they're off, you know, federal, they're a federal judge or they're running for the Senate or whatever. And I'm thinking I'm unemployed and, and going to lay around in my pajamas again today because I'm a writer and and yet I don't really have a book to my name. And so what does this mean? And and uh, so anyway, that's where that's where my thought was, you know, did I really hear the right call on my life? And and am I really following what I need to be following? Mm. I can't wait to hear this one. So Tony Dungy, meeting him, growing that relationship. Talk about that a little bit. So Tony is exactly in private the way you see him in public. And that was really the impetus for the book, um, for his first book. And, and the first book that I keep referencing was his memoir, Quiet Strength, that came out in 2007. But I was with Tony in 2001 in Tampa, and they kept reaching the playoffs and losing in the first round. And I joined them for his final year of that. Uh, here he had turned around the Buccaneers, obviously a historically ter- uh, horrific franchise, and Tony had turned them around and was taking them to the playoffs, and, and yet suddenly it was decided that that wasn't enough. And so when I got there, there, were, um, there was the pressure of they've got to do more than they've done. Excuse me, a lot of outside noise as far as would Tony be fired if they didn't go far enough and the like. And what I saw from Tony in private was exactly what you see in public, where he never got rattled. He said to me at one point, um, I... I commended him late in the season where I was stressed. I mean, here I just moved to Tampa with my family and yet we're reading articles in the paper about, will Tony be fired? Will we all be fired? What's going to happen? And I thought, you know, I've just bought a house and, and moved down here. And, Mm. and so I'm stressed. We're all stressed. And Tony was completely unflappable. And so we were together late in the season, just the two of us. And I said, you know, I really appreciate your witness in light of the circus. And Tony said, Nathan, I can't help but think that there are times when God wants there to be a circus so that people can see how we behave, that we believe in something bigger. And that resonated with me. And that became a big part of why I finally thought it was worth writing a book about him. That whole idea that, you know, uh, my response probably would have been something like, 
well, thanks. You know, I just, mm. I'm white knuckling it or thanks. I'm just trying to hang on or, you know, times do get tough or something like that. But he was, he was of the sense of, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it's supposed to be bad and it's supposed to be stressful. And this is where God wants me. And it was just such an eye-opening experience. And so sure enough, a couple of weeks later, he got fired and then figured out that uh, the Lord wanted him in Indianapolis. And that was Tony, totally Tony's approach. Tony said, look, I would have stayed in Tampa forever, except that God wanted me to walk through a different door. And so he had to get me fired in Tampa. <laughs> so that's how he views it. Um, so, so just a great experience for me to be around that and to see that every day, even as I was stressed. Um, as you know, I'm the director of legal affairs, right? I'm just a salary cap guy. And yet I'm worried. It's not even my name in the paper that everybody's talking about being fired, but I'm worried. And then several years later, we're writing his book and, and I talked about, you know, what did it take for you to get past the bitterness? And Tony said, uh, what bitterness? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, get fired. You thought you were following this plan and doing things the Lord's way in Tampa. And you turned around the franchise, getting sellout crowds, and then you get shown the door. And Tony said, no, no, no. And he, that's when he told me the line about, you know, God had to shut the door in Tampa so I could walk through the one in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so I start laughing. I'm like, Tony, then I've been bitter on your behalf for five years and you're not even bitter. And so anyway, we shared a laugh over that. And it was a chance for me to kind of let go of some of the feelings that I had felt, uh, even being there around him and, and feeling that frustration. Uh, but his perspective was just so unique. Help us understand when, when you're around Tony, and it could be in years past or when you're around him now, what's the, what's the one thing that you either feel or that you're reminded of when you're in his presence? You know, there's a sense of, of peace and, and not, um, not necessarily peace when we interact together. So he's certainly quiet and thoughtful when he speaks and, you know, he doesn't say anything well, he will say things off the cuff, but not rashly. You know, he's usually thought through things. And, but a sense of peace that, that he just constantly sees things through this filter of each, what the Lord has him doing and why he's doing it. And so you get this sense of where I can get caught up in whatever's on the front page today, or I can get caught up in, in things that, you know, bills that are coming or, or the check didn't come that I was expecting or whatever. But Tony has this bigger sense of, you know, there's a, there's a much broader picture and just being around him. I I just kind of feel that sense of, Oh, that's right. I can take Mm -hmm. a deep breath and know that there is a God who's in control of all this and that I just need to be faithful and and figure out my part in that. I love that is, would you consider coach Dungy a mentor? And if so, okay. And if so, if so, why, why would you say mentors like him or other mentors are so crucial in our lives? Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a sense of, and you hear this when people talk about um, a dearth of African-American doctors or other things out there that, that there's just some beauty in seeing somebody walk the walk mm-hmm. and being able to say, okay, I could be that person. And, and I think that I look at Tony and I think, okay, the way I'm wired, I probably can't be, like Tony, because he's smarter than I am. He's more thoughtful than I am. But then again, I look at him and I think, okay, I can, I can, I could take on those traits. You know, I could take on that sense of calm and that sense of, you know, we, we 
we've got the, we talked about what would Jesus do and what would, there is a value to um, being able to look at someone and say, okay, what, what do I think Tony would do right here? And to have somebody who's kind of flesh and blood in front of me and go, okay, I could emulate them right now and think, okay, he probably wouldn't blow off this, this event at his kid's school because of something that's really weighing on him. Or maybe he would, and he'd make a, excuse me, or he'd make some concession and say, okay, you know what? I can't make this event, but I'm going to do this and this instead. And I think there's real value in having those mentors in our lives, people we can bounce things off of, but then also people we can just watch and try to emulate in, in certain ways. That's one we all need to take note of, Nathan. Thank you for sharing that. Something funny that I picked up, I think it was on your bio, on your website, and we need some explanation here. Okay. It says voted by his peers as the person most likely to be standing alone, lost and awkward at a cocktail party. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I don't know that that was technically my senior, senior superlative, <laughs> but, but I am, um, you know, my, I, I, Terribly, um, I don't know, terribly, but very introverted and totally, um, totally willing to be alone and quiet and just observe, which is great at times being a writer. But there are also times when I think, man, it would just be nice to be the life of the party and mingle. And, and I was actually recently at an event in Dallas and it was a big group of people. And, and one person was, I was there visiting a person and they took me to this, this corporate event. And so I literally knew one person at the party and was being introduced then around. And, and so somebody during the evening came up to me who I'd met right at the beginning. I met them right at the beginning. They walked up to me and they said, hey, Nathan, I, I, when I met you and somebody told me that you'd written books, so I Googled you and I found your website. And it says here that you're prone to be or you're voted to be alone and, and standing. And I literally was alone and standing against the wall you were. At the party. And the guy held out, you know, he said, look, it's right here on your website and you're actually doing it. That's so beautiful. And I said, yeah, great. So <laughs> anyway, I'm trying well, to do better. Well, from a perceived perspective, being an author, being connected to people like coach Dungey and, the Heisman Trophy winner uh, from the University of Florida, Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. When we or others look from the outside, you can maybe think extrovert. You know, he's outgoing. Uh, but, I mean, that, that's proof, too, that the majority of people are introverted. They do gain energy from peace and, and being alone. And those environments, you know, because I'm naturally introverted, so for me, I know how to turn it on and turn it off. But when I've been in an event like that, I, I do need that time. I'm exhausted after the fact. And the reason I brought it up was because you, you've been connected to, you know, to what I would consider uh, as it comes to sports, some of the greatest of all time. Me, uh, I graduated from Florida State University, so it was always tough for me to like Tebow when he was at UF, right. but I adore him now. I read his books and, you know, so from Tony Dungy, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about your work with Tim Tebow, the mm-hmm. differences, the similarities and, and how you got connected to him to begin with. Okay, sure. You know, and one of the things, let me just get this out of the way. Uh, in, in Tim's book, he talked about some of the great games against Florida state, some of the rivalry moments, 
And then I was, when we were talking in the book about role models and, and people who are out doing good, I threw in a part about Derek Brooks and Warwick Dunn, who I'd seen firsthand with the Buccaneers, a couple of great, for your listeners who don't know, a couple of great Florida State grads, incredible people. And at first, his, his family was like, wait, wait, why are you highlighting these Florida State guys? And I said, well, one, they're two of the highest quality people you could ever have. And two, we've already said so many things about the, the rough and tumble games against FSU. We could at least throw a bone to Florida State that, uh, that things aren't all bad in Tallahassee. So anyway, a great experience with Tim. Um, got to know him through mutual folks. Um, I'm from Gainesville, Florida, where the University of Florida is. And mutual friends at UF connected us. His parents had read the uh, Tony's first book, and so they knew of my work. And so that's how we got connected. And so uh, just really a neat opportunity to get to work with him. I, I actually initially passed on doing his, his book. Um, I was in the middle of writing The Mentor Leader, and I was under a deadline. And so the, the window of opportunity to write Tim's book, um, I wouldn't be able to do it. And was really, really disappointed because I just thought so highly of him. And then they ended up being able to wait. And so several months later, we got back together and, and we were able to do it. So, so that was really exciting for me and really fun. Um, he is, I don't know where he fits on the introverted, extroverted scale, except that what I did find is that like you, like me, he is able to be on certainly every time he's out in public. Mm-hmm. Um, people are all over him wanting to just hang out with him, wanting to just touch him at times. Um, and, and I'll be walking behind him and I can see people who are turning to their friends going, oh my gosh, I just touched his shoulder. Mm. And, wow, that's really, how about that? Um, but he just always has to be on. And then when we would leave those public settings, we'd go back and hang out with his brothers. And at the time he was in Denver playing with the Broncos. So his brothers were out there with him and it would just be a, a small group of folks where he could just kind of relax, let his hair down mm. and just be, uh, we would end up playing hide and go seek in the dark. That was his idea of a big Friday night was to have a, a house of friends and we'd just turn out all the lights and play hide and go seek. <laughs> um, so it's hard to get in trouble when, uh, when you're an NFL player and your idea of a big night out is to stay home and, uh, and do that. But um, it was great to be around Tim. Great to see how he carried himself, his approach to things. You know, he'd get, he'd get tough. I, I need a moment to, to recover when I get, uh, you know, bad news or news I don't want to hear or, hey, you're not going to start this week or whatever mm-hmm. it is. He worked so hard and you think, oh, my gosh, the publisher isn't thrilled with this part of the book. And so I'd have to go sulk. And then eventually I, I'd like to think I rally. And think, okay, what do I need to do to fix this? How do I rise above this? And Tim would, uh, I mean, you'd think it'd be like a nanosecond. He'd get it and he'd go, okay, great. How do I, how do I prove that they're wrong on this? Um, so just a remarkable person to be around and, and really an interesting guy to see firsthand. Well, and that was proof. I mean, a, a God-given, a true God-given gift to bounce back. You know, mm-hmm. on the field, you saw it all the time. You know, he didn't let defeat or failure stand in his way at all. We all remember the famous speech that he had that brought him to tears at, at UF. Mm -hmm. You mentioned here how you met through mutual relationships. Would you share with the listeners what your beliefs are around a coincidence? Was that a coincidence you think? Uh And you believe in coincidences? Yeah. I I think that, um, 
you know, I, I, I don't particularly, I think that, um, that there are, I just think there are a lot of God ordained moments and we don't often realize those. And, uh, and I'm realizing that the, that the world is so much smaller than we realize. And, and that if we just continue to push talk and not necessarily be the, the wallflower introvert that some of us are prone to be like me, um, that there are these, that there are these connections that are out there. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these are God ordained that, that God has, um, helped create, or at least given us the chance to follow through on, um, Chan Gailey had coached in the NFL, he coached at Georgia tech, got to be a friend. And, and I asked him how he went from being at the NFL to being at Georgia tech. And he said that he was from right outside of Atlanta had grown up there, lived his whole life there. And, and so to go back to tech was amazing, but he never thought that he would actually end up there. And he said, the door was there. I kind of knocked on it, but I kept waiting for it to shut. Mm. And he said, and it never did. And I think that that happens a lot with us. If we'll let it, that there are a lot of things out there where if we look around and we kind of push on doors or knock on things that, that there are situations and, uh, and I don't happen to think they're coincidences, but I think there are a lot of things out there that, that we can take advantage of um, that are probably lying there that, that God has helped orchestrate or at least has, has given us the chance to, to kind of push our way through. I totally agree with that. And, and we have to, we have to go into each day and each moment in a mindful state. So we don't miss those ordained moments, mm-hmm. you know, cause we never know when they're coming. Right. And I appreciate you sharing that. You're a speaker too, and I'm sure you use a lot of your experiences in the past, relationships you've formed in professional football, college football, and perhaps other sports. Is there an audience that you like to speak with? Is there, is there a topic that you hone in on? What, what does that look like when you go and speak to a group, whether it be a college or a business group? Yeah, so... I'm going to go, uh, I'll be speaking to Charleston Southern and then William and Mary and then some folks up at Duke here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I've also got a couple of business events lined up and I like all those audiences um, for different reasons. I, you know, I enjoy the energy of the kids, but I also enjoy a chance to connect. I remember what it was like to, to be in a, a corporate position and to think, you know, why am I doing this? Does this really matter? I was in a law firm, you know, with a couple of, with a big um, lawsuit going on. And thinking, what is this really where God has me? And you realize that, you know what, I can make an impact in that situation. Or working for the Bucks, which seemed like a really, really cool job. And my buddies all loved it. And I, I started thinking, you know what, but what am I actually contributing to society? That people are going to show up 16 Saturdays a year and or Sundays a year and pay attention to this. And does this even have any meaning? And then you realize, you know what, I can I can have an impact and I can make a difference in people's lives in ways that I might not be paying attention to, you know, just as simple as, as I shared earlier, me being a role model and a mentor, I don't think Tony necessarily looked at it as, Hey, I'm going to build into Nathan's life. Yet I was observing him and watching him and taking value out of that. And I think we all have that opportunity. So the message I love to share is I, I often talk on leadership or teamwork and Tony and I had a book come out in January, the soul of a team. So teamwork has been a hot topic lately with, with my speaking the leadership and, and teamwork, but then making sure that folks understand that there's also this concept of, of legacy and impact. And so whether we are 
functioning as a team and trying to build the best team we can of a high functioning group of individuals, or whether we're helping create leaders around us, that we're doing it with an eye toward building a legacy, a legacy for good that impacts others. And that's what really gets me excited where I really enjoy speaking. And then again, as an introvert, you know, I love, and folks will hear me talk and they'll think there's no way you're an introvert. <laughs> I, but I do have to recover, right? I love it. I love the crowd. I love the energy. I love interacting with everybody afterwards and I'll go and, and spend an hour just talking to folks one-on-one. And then there, and then they'll be like, you know, Hey, are you going to go out and see the city tonight? And I'm like, no, I'm going to go escape to my hotel room and just kind of fall asleep. <laughs> um, so, so I love people. I love the energy and doing all that. And then I just need to go, you know, sit quietly in the dark for a while and recover. But those are the things I really like. I really think that, that we all have this impact, this potential for impact, for legacy. You know, one of the things I, I think and, and uh, that I don't think we think of enough, but I spoke to the uh, Dolphins a couple years ago. So I talked to the Miami Dolphins and they had had an exercise, speaking of gratitude, where they were supposed to write thank yous to five people who had made an impact in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, I came in the next week, talked to him and I said, okay, how many of you wrote to Don Shula or Dan Marino or Michael Jordan or some of these stars that had a huge impact either on the dolphins or, you know, we all had a Jordan poster up in our wall. Did any of you write to them? And of course they didn't. And they wrote to the people we've never heard of, right? They wrote to the uncles and the aunts and the mothers and fathers and coaches and a lot of times I'll step back and think, man, if only I was where Tony was, or if only I, people paid attention to me the, the way they hang on Tim Tebow's every word, then I could really make an impact. Mm-hmm. But then you stop and realize that I'm going to interact with people today that Tim's never going to meet. And I'm going to interact with somebody, you know, and then this evening or whatever, or that, that Tony's never going to meet. And we sell ourselves short a lot of times. And we often, at least I think, well, I'll do it later. Or I'll, you know what, I'll pay attention to that when when I'm different, when I'm bigger, when I'm whatever. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that we're all capable of doing that right now. And we all can make a huge impact in somebody's life right now. Mm, I like that. One thing that I want to pull from what you, when you started in the beginning of your discussion, you mentioned that having an impact is important whenever and wherever you are, whether that be successful or not finding a way to be impactful, whether it be with a team or a business, or maybe you're in school, maybe you've just started a business as a father, as a husband, as a mom, as a wife, whatever that may be. Why is that so important? And maybe how did you find a way to do that as an attorney? You know, maybe that wasn't something that you were felt that was your complete calling. Mm -hmm. And why is that important for other people to, to realize and maybe does that set us at peace if we know that wherever we stand at that moment, as long as we're progressing toward the mm-hmm. goal that we want to achieve, that along the way, along that path, we can be impactful? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of pieces to that. One is I think we underestimate the small interactions. And, you know, it's, it's a clever book title and it's, and it's a great concept of not sweating the small stuff. Mm. But a lot of life is about the details. And so we don't necessarily need to to stress out over everything. And so I love that concept. But at the same time, I think so much of life is in the small interactions that you remember the times when somebody made you feel good or somebody complimented you and they won't remember it, 
they don't remember having said anything, but the fact is I'll hang on to, you know, Twain said I can live a, a month on a good compliment. And I can totally remember when people <laughs> said things to me that were positive, negative, whatever. And so I think there are a lot of small interactions, whether it was when I was practicing law, whether it was opposing counsel, whether it was my administrative assistant, you know, I really could impact the way in which she reacted or interacted with her family, I think, as far as how I dealt with things that were coming up or crises or whatever. Um, I was impacting a lot more than just her in the way that, that I interacted with her and, and then the way she left the office. But I wouldn't always see that. And I'd think, mm. man, you know, what am, I, what am I really doing for society? And I look back and think, okay, well, I had that interaction. I had the one with the client, the one with the other lawyer, the one with the partner who was overseeing my work. <clears throat> the other thing is that um, um, you talked about even if we're not exactly where we want to be right now, and that this is one of the things Tony and I talked about in the teamwork book, our roles in life change, but it doesn't make the particular role that we're in right now any less important. And a lot of times we're not where we want to be, but I've learned to try to own the role that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so the times when uh, certainly this is not, you know, I, I don't, I said, I'm going to go back and speak to my old high school this afternoon to the football team. And my junior year, I had a pretty good kicker in front of me. And so I didn't get to kick in the way. I, but then I realized, you know what? The only way I can help the team this year is to be a holder. So I held for field goals. So I worked for hours on that. And it wasn't where I wanted to be. And it wasn't who I wanted to be. And it wasn't going to get me a college scholarship. And fortunately, the next year, things worked out well enough to, to where I could go on and play in college. But for that year, I had to own that role. And I had to understand that this is how I can help people. And this is how I can have an impact. And this is what I can do. But I had to look around and see, okay, this is where I am. This is not where I want to be. And I don't have to give up on those dreams. But let me at least understand today what I can do to help those around me. Completely agree. And I, and I made a note here when you said, own the role that I'm in. It reminds me of what a mentor shared with me just over the past couple of years. He, he said that, and it's not verbatim, but he said that doing the most important thing at that moment is critical because we, we have a, a habit of looking forward or looking behind us regret, you know, leads to depression or, you know, maybe something somebody did to us, we're depressed or looking forward and it creates these levels of anxiety that aren't helpful. And I do believe our society and the things around us have an effect on that. But if we do that, if we focus on the role that we're in and if we focused on the moment, maybe it's taking the trash out, but at mm-hmm. that moment, that's the most important thing, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe you're cutting the grass cause you're having people over that weekend and you're not going to get distracted by any. I think if we are more mindful, that also is more healthier and it also leads to better results as well. Cause then we don't, like we talked about earlier when it comes to those God ordained moments, we don't miss those. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, that's a great, great insight. And it reminds me of, uh, I was down visiting with the Pittsburgh Pirates in spring training a couple of years ago, and they were about to break camp and, and head back to Pittsburgh to start the season. And Mike Tomlin was there too. Mike and I had worked together with the Buccaneers. And so Mike was there. Your listeners know the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And That's Mike, right. shared, Mike shared with the Pirates, he said, look, be where you are. And everybody kind of looked at him funny. And Mike said, look, you're two days away from heading back to Pittsburgh but you're not there yet. So don't pack your bags. Don't check out of being here in Bradenton, Florida 
because there's still work to be done here. And he said, and don't spend any time yesterday with the fact that you went out for four or whatever, because you can't fix that. He said, the reality is you're not yet in Pittsburgh and you're not in yesterday. The only moment you've got is today. And so decide what am I going to do with what's right in front of me today? And how am I going to get, whether it's mowing the grass, whether it's whatever it may be, that we have something right there that we can put our hand to and we don't have to live in regret and we don't have to try to recalculate the past. And we also don't have to spend all our time daydreaming or thinking about the future. And to me, that's been such a great message as far as the only thing I can control is what's right in front of me. Mm. Sometimes I can't even control that, but at least I can <laughs> influence it. Right. That's right. Yeah. Gratitude. So over the past, uh, we're in August now, the past eight months this year, I've been practicing that. It's, it's on my, at least from an external standpoint, it's on my calendar. I've, you know, so I've, through prayer, meditation and things in the morning, that's one thing I do. But what I've implemented this year is what you mentioned earlier about giving thanks to others. So weekly I'll sit down and for a, a block of time, I'll write thank you notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what in your mind, what, it, what's the importance of regular practice of gratitude? What does that do for us? Well, I think it gets, it gets the focus. It's funny when you, when you, when you focus on what people have done for you or in ways in which they've helped you, certainly there is some element of, of me and myself. And yet at the same time, it kind of frees me from that. I, I have found I get less anxious or less um, focused on, on some of the things that can kind of get me all wrapped up in me. Mm. When, I, when I think about, okay, what did this person do? And I stop and think, man, that was great for them to go out of their way and let me jot a note. And, and so I've tried to be more mindful about that over the last couple of years as well. Um, probably in part hearing the stories about George H.W. Bush and that thousands of people still hung on to notes that he wrote them over the years that he was... Um, a letter writer um, for his whole career. And, and even after email and everything came in, he was in the old office, he was still writing letters. And I thought that's so cool. So, but it totally takes me out of me. Even when I think about things that people have done for me, it really is, it, it, it's somehow it changes the dynamic because I'm thinking about what that person did that they didn't have to do. And, and the fact that I'm grateful for that. Mm. And, and I wrote down what, when you started that, it, it reminded me of, I, I know Tony Robbins says that I know there's, it's been written in books before, but it's that thought of things happen for us, not to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to remember because things do happen. We do face struggles. We, you mm-hmm. know, we've talked about some of those failures already that you faced, whether it be career or life or what have you, but those all happened for you, not right. to you. And it's uh it's being in the right state of mind. It's having faith, you know, to pursue that each day. So I love that. So what, what is Nathan mm-hmm. looking forward to right now? Are there any special projects or anything exciting on the horizon? Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, working on, um, working on a couple of things. One is really trying to be um, more intentional with my speaking, one of the things that I've, I've decided over the years that I'm, um, I think there's a fine line, right? It says in Proverbs, uh, let another person praise you. In essence, don't be the one to talk yourself up. Um, and as best as I can tell, the whole point of social media and retweeting things that people say nice about me is to make sure that I talk about me. 
Um, so I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to figure out a way, and I've tried over the last couple because I can be very passive, and and I think at the same time I'm not looking for, as we talked about earlier, knocking on doors, figuring out opportunities that God may be presenting me with. That if I'm too passive, I'm really not making the most of those potential opportunities that are out there. Mm. At the same time, I don't want to turn it all into me, and that you know if you follow me on Twitter, it's all going to be all. Nathan all the time and look at how amazing I am, which doesn't feel, hopefully doesn't feel authentic. My wife might tell you that's my focus, me all the time, but hopefully that's not how I really am. <laughs> so my goal is to be um, more, um, more intentional about trying to create these opportunities because I really enjoy speaking to teams, to businesses, whatever. So, so I'm going to do, as I mentioned, an East Coast swing here in the next couple of weeks where I do uh, William and Mary, a couple of schools in Virginia, okay. South Carolina, and speak to those sports teams. And then I'm also working on some books um, and, and trying to figure out, um, you know, I'd like to do a, broaden my approach to maybe, maybe do some of these themes that I speak on and to do a book that's a little bit, um, a little bit more focused on some of those things. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out what that looks like and if that would be a collaboration with somebody. I've been fortunate to work with some amazing people and get to know some really cool folks. Or is that just something I do on my own? Right. And so, right. Anyway, just trying to figure out where those opportunities are and, and what makes the most sense. That's awesome. Well, how can we help with getting the word out? Or, you know, I know you're looking at, like you mentioned before, you want other people to help with that and not just be you talking about how can we as a community help you get the word out about what you're trying to accomplish? Well, certainly if, if somebody wanted to go to my website or, or follow me on social media and, and thought there was a fit, I'd love to, to be connected with that. But also just more simply, I'd love to just connect with folks that if you've got, um, if there's somebody out there in the community that just wants to interact with me, I'm, I'm more than happy to, uh, I feel like a lot of folks have helped me along the way. And so I'm just more than happy to chat, to share, to whatever. And, and so, you know, I'm, feel free to follow me on Twitter or, or connect with me on Facebook. And, and I'd love to just interact with folks. And we can see where that leads. And it may not lead anywhere that's, quote unquote, significant. But as we've learned, uh, so much of life is in the details. And so just that's those right. simple interactions can be significant. And that'd be great. Well, we want to make sure to, to support you. Nathan, what what weird habit or maybe absurd thing that you love that you would say, well, most people don't know about that. (laughs) Do you have one of those? Do you have a weird habit? You know, I'm, I'm afraid to ask. um, I'm afraid to ask my family members. They'd probably think of, of several, Um, you know, one of the, I I don't know. I, I am, (laughs) I am constantly um, out in my yard and uh, love working out in the yard. That's a real escape for me. And so that's one of the things that I'm constantly doing. And I've had people say, you know, it's probably more efficient for you to get somebody to do your lawn and all that. And it probably is. But that's also one of the places I, as an introvert, can escape to. Um, and, and there's a, uh, um, I don't know if this, again, doesn't count as a weird habit or absurd thing, but but somebody said to me, total, total stereotypical, when we were picking out our, our wedding china, somebody said, oh, get ready to bang heads that you're going to want to pick out something s- simple that's, you know, silver or black and your wife's going to be picking out all these floral <laughs> patterns. And, and so we were struggling to connect on, on a china pattern 
And all of a sudden I started laughing. We're in, we're in the store looking and I started laughing and Amy, my wife, um, who we've been together 25 years now, just as of a couple of weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. So we made it work long after the wedding China selection. Good news. But I started laughing and I said, you realize what's happened here is that you're picking out the simple patterns that just have silver or black. And yet I want flowers on everything. And I'm constantly um, trying to grow flowers, do flower, whatever. I love flowers in our lives. So, um, so between that and me loving the color purple, uh, my girls might tell you those are my quirks. Um, probably that and the Bee Gees. Those so, are great. Those are great. Over the past few years, year uh, time frame is not important. Is there a new belief, behavior, or maybe a habit that you would say has improved your life? So one of the things that um, that I did a couple of probably several months ago is I read um, James Clear's book Atomic Habits, and and I thought when I saw the title, I I was picturing an atomic bomb that blows up and it's these big habits or whatever, <laughs> and and his whole purpose, I don't know if you've read it, but his whole point was that it's really at the atom level where the good habits are formed. And so I've really tried to be intentional about just making sure the little things happen. So I read the paper every morning, but I've learned, okay, you know what? I'm not going to let myself read the paper until I pick up a devotional or something for 10 minutes. Hmm. And it may not feel like much, but that 10 minutes, is getting, and it may grow into more. And so one day I may spend more than 10 minutes. Hmm. But if I sit, if I tell myself, okay, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer and reading every morning, I'll do it for a day or two and it'll be exhausting and I won't. But if I instead find these little habits during the day mm-hmm. or clear talks about just putting on my workout shoes, I've been trying to learn to play tennis. So I'll put on my tennis shoes, but once they're on, I'm much more likely to go out and hit a few balls, even if it's for 30 minutes. than if I stop and think, all right, where do I have a chunk of time today where I can play tennis? Right. But I won't find a chunk of time but I will find a minute where I can put on my tennis shoes. And then all of a sudden I'm going, you know what? Let me just run out here for 20 minutes. <laughs> so I've, I've tried to be a lot more intentional about doing small things that are in the direction that I want to go. And that those have made outsized impacts on me. That's really good. Is there a way you find peace? I know you said cutting the grass, but is there, is there more areas where you, you find peace in life? After, maybe it's after work or on the weekends. Yeah, I, you know, I find that I'm refreshed and rejuvenated being around um, people I care about, hmm. and um, that, and and certainly, um, certainly time in in quiet contemplation, whether it's prayer, devotional, whatever. But some of those times of quiet, and so it can even be. You know, we talk a lot about quality time with mm-hmm. our kids, and I think that's critical to be mindful of what we do um, and, and to make sure that we are present and doing stuff. But there's also, I think, for me, there's also just quantity time when I'm just around the people I care about, and it doesn't have to be anything significant we're doing. We could just be sitting in the same room. We could just be having mm-hmm. dinner, and it's just a chance to be me, and I feel accepted, and I feel... And so I think there's something to be said for times when we're just with folks, whether it's time with the Lord, time with, with loved ones, but just there. Um, and those are a couple of the ways in which I find peace and, and a chance to rejuvenate. Well, that's one we can all take note of, Nathan. And what do you feel? I'm excited to hear this one. What do you believe to be your purpose just during your time here on earth? What's Nathan's purpose? So, um, 
So one of the things that I've, I've come to realize, I, I, and again, it seems like every one of my answers is a filibuster where I, I answer with a lot more than you probably wanted. Um, oh, no, love all of it. Okay. Don't apologize. Well, I, okay. Well, I spoke in Boston um, not too long ago and, and Quiet Strength had come out. Actually, it was a, a few years ago after Quiet Strength had come out. And, and I talked about how, you know, I had this dream and I was unemployed and, and that um, in Proverbs, it talks about commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And, and yet it doesn't speak of timing. And so I said, you know, I had my actions committed. And so look, it sold 3 million copies and it hit number one on the New York Times list and, and all this. And a friend took me aside afterwards who had gone to law school with me and and he said, man, that was great. I really loved your talk and, and everything about it was spot on except your whole premise is just wrong. And I kind of was floored and he said, look, the reality that a bunch of people bought it doesn't matter. Hmm. And the fact is that you followed the call on your life and that if it never hit any lists, if it never sold any copies, he said, I watched you for three years follow this call on your life. And I've come to realize that that's really what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to impact others. That if it's just one person I'm impacting, that I may never impact the people that Tebow impacts, and I'm not going to impact the people that Dungey impacts. But if I can impact the person next door or the people under my roof, that that's really my purpose, and that's where I'm supposed to be having an impact, whether it's, and I can't control whether it's one person or 50,000. Um, and I'll let the Lord sort all that out. But, but my goal is to try to impact for good those around me and build it into their lives. Well, I'm so thankful you took the time to explain that. There were some key moments throughout our discussion, but listeners, if you need to, you know, stop, pause, take notes, back that up and listen to it again, because there's a lot of things to remember in there. We did talk about earlier about impact at whatever area you are in life and how important that is and continuing on that path. Man, this was great, Nathan. I really appreciate you being on the show today. And I know the Activate community is going to find many things, even if it's only one, but many things that they're going to be able to take and utilize in their life. And what we'd like to do is where's the best place for us to, you've got, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, but where can they get Nathan Whitaker? Dot com is that correct right nathan com or nathan Whitaker on twitter uh, are a couple of easy ways to connect with me i respond to emails that come through the website and and i'll respond to uh, to tweets that come my way so i'd love to connect with uh, with folks either way that's great so nathan com. connect with him and see what he's got going on i i was connected with you uh years ago when the mentor leader came out I won a book on radio show. I called in, answered a question, won the book, got to go to the book signing and shake Tony's hand. That was really cool to be able to spend some time with Coach Dungey. Brief period of time, but that's when I first uh, connected with you and kind of found out what you had going on. Was there one last thing that you'd like Mm -hmm. to share with the listeners before we finish up today? Just to encourage them and the reality that, that, you know, I still get, wrapped around the axle where there are times where you'd think I'd remember that I don't need to worry about the future or, or what's going on, that I should just be where I am. And yet with all the things coming our way every day, it's, it's hard to remember that. So I would just encourage your listeners to, to just stay in the moment and to just remember that, uh, that God is bigger than we are. And, uh, and he's got the future in his hands as well. 
And what I'd like to do before we end today is just recognize you, Nathan, for what you've done um, in your career and how you went through trials. You went through failures, but you prevailed. And to see you and to see what you've done around your work with Coach Dungey and Tim Tebow and yet still be the, the humble man you are. I really appreciate that, the father and the husband that you are to your family. So thank you. We can learn a lot from that. And we really wish you the best. Well, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate your time. And, and thank you for that. That's awfully kind. Thank you. Activate listeners. Wasn't Nathan incredible? There are so many takeaways here that will help activate success in my self-awareness, peace, gratitude, and being focused on what really matters in my life. Thanks for deciding to jump on to the Activate podcast today. Go to Nathan's website, nathanwhitaker.com, where you can grab a copy of any of the books we referenced on the show today. I know they will help you activate success in your life. I'm sure you've already thought of a person or maybe a group that you could share this episode with so they can activate this area of their life. That thought came for a reason. Do that today. It's all about activating your community, your life.